This week on Medical Minefield, Dr Chris Van Tullican. Exercise isn't a very good solution for weight loss. When we do exercise, we steal energy from other budgets. So if I move from my sedentary life and I go and live as a hunter-gatherer, I won't burn more calories per day, but I'll spend less energy on inflammation, on anxiety, and on high levels of reproductive hormone. And Professor Giles Yo. Now, it doesn't matter how quickly we eat that Mars bar. It will always take us, whatever, half an hour on a treadmill or whatever it is you're doing to actually use it up. All living creatures have evolved to be efficient. It's always far easier to control your body weight with food intake because the dynamic range there is so much greater than the exercise element. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we are health journalists, which means we spend our lives asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking, is exercise useful for weight loss or not? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So if you have a question or a suggestion for us at Medical Minefield, tweet us at MedMinefield. So exercise, weight loss, uh, just two of your favourite subjects. Yep, you? I've written about it many times. Well, well, do you like to work out? I actually currently have a terrible pain in my quads, the front bit. The thigh. The thigh. The front, yeah, the thigh, the, sorry. The front of your um, thigh, yes. Because I did a circuits and strengths class the other day and I won't stop banging on about it. Oh. So the answer is not really, but sometimes I decide to do it. I like I like my bums and tums class. Oh yeah, that's a good one. I've got pop Pilates tomorrow, which is Pilates, but set to the soundtrack of the early noughties. Well, depending on who you believe in the science community, that class is either going to do absolutely nothing for your waistline, not that you need to do anything <laughs> about your waistline, or it will help you burn calories and contribute to a healthy body, a healthy weight mm. in particular. We're talking about this because uh, it's a debate that's rumbled on in particular for about 10 years. You might have heard of the phrase, sitting is the new smoking. And about a decade ago, a group of scientists began publishing work looking at increasing obesity rates and trying to work out what was going on. And they came up with the idea that it was our increasingly sedentary lifestyles that were to blame for this collective weight problem, obesity rates rising. More than half of adults are overweight, a third of adults are obese. It's a familiar theory, isn't it? Everyone says, well, decades ago, we were, before industrialisation, we were out much you know, more active, milling and farming and doing yeah. whatever else. And now, yeah, now much we're less sat sedentary. at a desk. And, yeah. and, and I think the theories go that, that we actually consumed equal or more calories in those days. And we, and we were definitely smaller as a, as a species. Mm. I remember writing about uh, the average size of men and women in the UK. Mm. If you look back at very early records of, say, military uniforms in the the uh, Second World War, the largest man's standard uniform size was a 32-inch waist. And if you were any bigger than a 32, you'd have to have your uniform specially made. Mm. You know, people have got bigger. Mm. People were just generally smaller. That's what my grandfather used to do. He used to make clothes for the larger lady. Oh, really? Yeah. He had a factory called Slimray. Slimray? Yeah. Excellent. Mm-hmm. 
Well, he would have been making things uh, in, in much smaller sizes. Mm. And, and I've heard friends say that, you know, when they've got their grandma's wedding dress, for instance, mm. it's like a doll's wedding mm. dress almost. But the point of looking at all of this in, in terms of research is, you know, what what's changed? And, and people want to know why, why we're so overweight. And these scientists hit upon this idea of a sedentary lifestyle and sitting as a new smoking, etc. But then along came another group of scientists saying this was all not right. And in fact, that exercise has very, very little impact or activity has very little impact or, or negligible impact mm. on weight. And, you know, if you Google it, you'll see endless articles saying exercise has no impact on weight. And mm. when I was talking about this to a colleague this week, he said to me, oh, it's 70 percent diet, 30 percent exercise. Mm. That's the kind of accepted logic, isn't it, that most people... I don't know where that comes from, but I've heard that before. Yeah. And... The reason it blew up this week was because of a tweet by Dr Chris Van Tulliken, mm-hmm. the BBC presenter, author of Ultra Processed People, which is a huge best-selling book at the moment, an infectious diseases specialist. Exactly what was the tweet, Eve? Because you've been writing about this this week. Yeah, so it was actually a conversation that was going on on Twitter about um, how many calories you would burn off by doing a very, very long bike ride. Somebody was talking about this. And Dr Van Tulliken entered into the conversation and said, the idea that you can burn off calories with exercise comes almost entirely from research funded by the soft drink industry. He went on to say that multiple studies have shown that exercise does not help you lose weight, that you don't burn calories through exercise. And so madness ensued. Lots of scientists began commenting on this, pointing out that he was incorrect, that there was other studies that have proven the opposite. One scientist even said, you know, people shouldn't be listening to somebody who doesn't have a background in nutrition. And uh, it all got a bit ugly. It always surprises me how incensed people get about this subject. Mm, I think that this is always going to be the case definitely on the topic of diet and exercise and weight loss because there are so many confounding factors and interesting variables that are really important to consider when thinking about why somebody gains weight or why somebody loses weight and it's almost impossible to be able to measure all of those in a kind of accurate and fair way. I should, I should say that the reason that Chris is talking about this is in the context of his book uh, which I've mentioned Ultra Processed People he believes that the key thing that's causing weight gain is ultra-processed food, so manufactured, ready meals, snacks, drinks, etc., that, that somehow hack our brains into eating too much, and uh, you know th- this makes us pile on weight. So, so therefore, he's looking at all the other things he, he believes are misunderstandings of, of weight gain and exercise not sedentary lifestyles and lack of exercise is, is one thing he thinks that is misunderstood. Mm. It, it all kicks off again. I mean, people get maybe a certain subset of commentators on, on social media get really pressed about this whole thing. Mm. And it, it kind of feeds into the idea that exercise is negligible, is also adopted by people who are into the whole kind of low carb thing and believe that there are magical properties of certain foods that make you put on weight and magical properties of certain foods that make you lose weight. And ultimately the... for them, the focus is food, right? That the, It's the quality of what we're eating that's the problem. Or yes. there's something about the things that we're putting in our bodies that's the issue that's making us gain weight and it's nothing to do with anything else i.e exercise yes and uh, i think as a disinterested party rather than uninterested this is all very confusing what's the answer because you know, if... should i be on my treadmill desk you know trying to offset the calories that i eat uh-huh. 
or does it have no difference and should I be focusing on some kind of special diet? And if that is the case, then the whole theory, well, for everything that we understand, the basics about how we gain weight is completely thrown up in the air because it's calories in, calories out. And so if the calories out isn't really a thing... Then yeah, because you'd think it's, it's uh, you know, basic physics. What happens but... to those calories that we're burning by walking around if we're not burning them? Well, it's it's a, definitely an interesting subject. And I think it's it's important that we hear from, first of all, the scientist who, who's kicked it all off this week. We're very pleased to have Dr. Chris Van Tullican on the line now. Chris, thanks very much for joining us. We're talking today mainly because of a social media storm that you provoked earlier in the week. You said that the idea that you can burn calories with exercise comes almost entirely from research funded by the soft drink industry. And I think you were expanding there on a chapter in your recent bestseller, Ultra Processed People, in which you really take to task this idea that inactivity or sedentary lifestyles is behind the growing obesity rates, no pun intended, it's quite an interesting and provocative thing that seems to have caused a great deal of debate. And, and I just wondered if we could give you an opportunity to respond to some of your critics at this point. Barney, I'm just sorry, I'm, I'm having to do this interview on a farm. I'm sitting out in the way of a tractor. Hold on, I've got to, I've don't, got to move. Don't get run second. over by a tractor, please. For context, I'm doing this filming a day of Operation Houch in Oxfordshire, sitting in a farm trying to, trying to make everything work. Oh. Um, so, very grateful, so, thank you. So let me kind of start again. It seems really intuitively obvious that when we talk about losing weight or the causes of the obesity pandemic, that inactivity must, must play a role, right? It seems very obvious. But there are some really big glitches in the data that have been surprising for a very, very long time. The first is that exercise isn't a very good solution for weight loss. It doesn't seem to help people very much. There are some studies that show if you do a huge amount of exercise, you can, for a short period, lose some weight. And there are definitely some studies that show that exercise is an important part of weight loss maintenance if you do a lot of it. But it's, it's always been clear that the, the only interventions that really have any significant effect for people are interventions that reduce the number of calories that people eat. So that's the first line of evidence. The second thing is we've had for a very long time these double-labeled water studies. So this is the most accurate way of measuring long-term calorie expenditure. And for a long time, there's been this very peculiar finding that if you measure populations that are very active, so for example, subsistence farmers in remote rural communities in the global south, and you compare them to similar populations matched for age and sex in the United States who do, for example, office or secretarial work, they don't seem to burn any more calories if they're doing mm. subsistence farming. And so in an attempt to wrap up all this data, a guy called Herman Ponser did a big review of the evidence and conducted a number of studies. And the, the most discussed one was where he went to a tribe of people called the Hadza in Tanzania, a community that lives as hunter-gatherers. They're extremely active. And he measured their calorific expenditure using this double-labeled water method, which is complicated but, but very well validated. And his findings in summary are that essentially if someone like me moved to Tanzania and lived as a hunter-gatherer and walked 14 to 16 kilometers a day hunting antelope and digging tubers out of the ground, it doesn't seem that I'd burn significantly more calories. 
Now, a lot of people on the internet in the last few days have been saying, oh, this violates the you know laws of thermodynamics. People have been very funny. Some people think the laws of thermodynamics were written by Newton, and they weren't. In fact, it doesn't. And Ponce's explanation is that this explains why exercise is really so good for us. So when we do exercise, we steal energy from other budgets. So I burn roughly 3,000 calories a day. If I move from my sedentary life in London and I go and live as a hunter-gatherer, I won't burn more calories per day, but I'll spend less energy on inflammation, on anxiety, and on high levels of reproductive hormones. And so this is why exercise is so good for us, because it actually damps down the energy, the excess energy that we otherwise have to spend on things that are, are bad for us. That's super interesting. And you touch on this in, in the chapter in your book in which you address the Ponza work. You say that research shows that we produce lower hormone levels uh, when we, we're, we're more active and, and that brings about the lower inflammation levels and, and stuff like that. And, and has that been studied quite extensively or are we talking about it, a few studies? Whether the hormone levels drive down the inflammation, it's probably more like having high reproductive hormone levels isn't very good for you. A lot of that is quite theoretical. But what no one is really disputing is the big picture, which is that when it comes to obesity, activity isn't really very important. And but, but what you're saying I, is what you're saying is that the reason we see health benefits from exercise, which you're you're not arguing, is nothing to do with maintaining weight. That it's to do with other effects of exercise, and that's why you see it, it, lower well, but, lower rates of cancer, heart disease, etc., cancer recurrence, etc. Think of it like this. If you work at a sedentary job doing podcasts at the Daily Mail or being a doctor in the UK, you will burn, if you're an 80-kilo, 45-year-old man like me, you will burn around 3,000 calories a day. Now, because you're not, if you're not doing exercise or activity, your body has evolved to, to spend that energy budget. It's a bit like the councils with the roads. And if you don't spend it going for a run or being active, then you have to spend that energy on inflammation and anxiety and lots of other things that are harmful for your body, possibly including, you know, amping up your reproductive system so you have higher levels of hormones that, that may be harmful. Is this, Chris, can I just run, ask, is this related at all to the female triad phenomena where uh, women who do lots and lots of exercise have this uh, strange scenario in which their reproductive hormones drop and therefore they, they don't have periods, etc.? So at extremes of exercise, Yes, we think that's exactly what's happening, is that you steal so much from all these other energy budgets that the body stops functioning. Because I so thought that was some to do with body are... fat. I thought that was to do uh, well, with a, a it, certain it, level of body fat, it, the signalling from the body fat. It's more complicated stealing energy, but the studies that, that have been done seem to show lower reproductive hormone levels in active populations. But if you become very active then that might, may drive, drive them down further. Now, body fat mass also has an effect on hormone levels. So it, it's complicated. And I should say, I'm not an endocrinologist and this isn't my area of expertise. Mm. But the discussion on Twitter has centered around, I think, the controversy at the extremes. So I have done research studies at high altitude and on Arctic expeditions where I've shown in myself that I can burn six or 7,000 calories in a day. So no one is disputing that extreme exercise definitely increases your calorific expenditure. That, that is also certain. What's really clear, though, is that that doesn't seem to be very sustainable for a very, very long time. So Tour de France cyclists can do it. 
but no one can keep cycling the Tour de France for the rest mm. of their life. So when we're talking about activity and exercise, as most people do it, I would really say amongst independent, respected scientists, there is no real controversy that it is not important or it is not hugely significant when it comes to the pandemic of obesity. And if you're trying to lose weight, exercise is really good for you. It probably won't make things any worse, but you are going to have to limit your calories because the exercise that most of us do isn't going to significantly impact your calories. But you, you say that, but I mean, is it not the case that if I, first of all, if, if I do an exercise class that maybe burns 200 and 250 calories or whatever, that's that extra Mars bar, you know, and that, that class might take me 45 minutes uh, it's hmm. not a huge amount of calories because I know, I mean, there was some brilliant statistics in, in your book that you were saying in, in order to offset a sedentary lifestyle, you'd have to, to jog for 10.6 hours a week. But but looking at it on an individual level, you know, I, I try and do something every day and, you know, I might do a 45 minute, you know, exercise class, my, my bums and tums class. And, uh, you know, I'll probably burn about 250, 300 calories. And that's, yeah. and that's that Mars bar that I'm no longer, you know, I'm Mars bar negative by the end of it. I know, I know you don't approve of Mars bars, but. No, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't care what people eat. I really yeah. don't. Okay. I'm not. I don't no, think I know. Any no, I'm, I'm winding you up. I'm winding you up. It, so what you're, no, no, you're giving, but you're giving a, a, what I think we believe is that if you do that exercise every, so, so you're, let's say you're doing five days a week, you're doing 200 calories of exercise in the gym. During that time in the gym, you are burning those calories. I think what most people now think is that during the rest of the day, you burn fewer calories. And so if you think you can now eat that 200 calorie Mars bar, or if you think that you will lose 200 calories in fat, that really doesn't seem to be the case. Right. So once Even you on an individual level, gym, it's just not going to do anything. It, yeah, you will burn the extra 200 calories in the gym. There's no question you're burning more calories. But on a daily basis, it doesn't seem like that will mean that you, let's say you're burning 3,000 calories sitting around in the office. If you do exercise every day, you're not now burning 3,200 calories. Okay, well, day. what about if, if, if that class is a weightlifting session and, you know, I'm doing weightlifting five days a week to build up my mm -hmm. muscles and, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. Then you will, so if you start putting on a huge quantity of muscle, you will, that does seem to affect your basal metabolic rate and you will burn more calories. Yes. So increased body size, in fact, whether it's fat or muscle does seem to increase your calorific expenditure each day. To be clear, Barney, like I'm, I don't know how old you are. I'm guessing you must be somewhere in, in my ballpark. Maybe you're yep. younger, but most of us do not do enough muscle work in the gym to significantly alter our body composition. So I, I do my little bit of strength work every day. I've been doing it for years. I, I can increase my press ups. I don't look particularly different. So when we talk about exercise and activity, I'm really only interested in the sort of thing that the vast majority of people do. And if you are someone who lifts weights at an elite level, you do ultra marathons, it doesn't necessarily inform us very much about public health or the obesity pandemic. And my concern is sort of, because this is really important for policy, right? So if everyone going to the gym five times a week, 200 calories a day, would burn an extra 1,000 calories a week, it would be really, really important to focus our public health policies when it comes to obesity on activity. And that's not what happens because 
no one really thinks it works like that. And I think Giles Yeogh will say exactly the same thing. I mean, he just cycled the length of the country and didn't lose any weight. So I really don't think there's anyone credible who's saying, when we're talking about public health policy, that our population can exercise their way out of obesity crisis. No, No one credible believes that. There are some really good studies that seem to show that when you add in exercise or a, a kind of regular exercise program to a calorie controlled diet, that it does mm-hmm. exaggerate this weight loss effect. So it can be a really helpful, it seems that it's a really helpful kind of add on. And and obviously that the calorie controlled diet is the sort of main thing that's driving the weight loss. But it's a really um, interesting, significant effect when you add exercise into that. People lose, lose a lot more weight than they do if they're not exercising. I wouldn't say people lose a lot more weight, but adding exercise to weight loss pro- to weight loss programs does seem to be broadly beneficial. What doesn't seem to be the case is that's not coming from increased calorie expenditure, and the evidence for that is is pretty good. So Barney's 200 calories a day, five days a week, may have some uh, effect on his total calorific Thank expenditure. Goodness but it's not particularly significant. No. <laughs> so what, one of the things I, I want to address, though, is the pushback. If you look at the pushback on Twitter, it's been largely driven because the Institute of Economic Affairs produced this report that said that calorie intake has nothing to do with weight loss. Um, yeah, so you're, you're, talking take, about, you're talking about Christopher Snowden's, it's called Fat Lie? The Fat Lie, it was called, The yeah. Fat Lie. And, and with Christopher Snowden, I mean, you really seem to, to criticise him quite strongly in your book and, and, and mention the fact that Tate and Lyle funds the work that he does. Well, I don't know if Tate and Lyle fund him directly. Tate and Lyle have historically funded the Institute of Economic Affairs. They've also been funded by the tobacco industry and lots of other industries give them funding. So they're a pro-industry free market think tank, and that's fine. The difficulty is that Chris Snowden published this report, not in a peer-reviewed journal, but it appears very convincing, saying that we're eating fewer and fewer calories than ever, and therefore uh, public health policy should be um, directed toward exercise and inactivity, and that calories really have no role to play. In fact, I'll I'll read a, a, a quote from this. He said, the piece concludes, the rise in obesity has been primarily caused by a decline in physical activity at home and in the workplace not an increase in sugar, fat, or calorie consumption. Now, I don't think you can find a credible, independent scientist who's not funded by the food industry who would agree with that even slightly. And that is really the basis of this argument. That's why there's a Twitter row. My objection is that he takes these positions that really aren't evidence, but he argues them very cleverly using what feels like good data. But it's, it's but, not just Christopher Snowden that you criticise in, in the book. You mention all of the scientists who are linked to this sedentary lifestyle theory, and you say that all of their research is funded by Coca-Cola, and you're absolutely convinced that's the case. Well, and I mean, in, these people the are peer-reviewed I... and have published in, in journals and, and such like. I mean, what, what we have is when you look at the stack of papers that do support this idea of energy balance, there are a number of papers that say essentially that you can outrun a bad diet. They were part of an effort by Coca-Cola to fund an enormous body of research. This was reported in the New York Times. This has been widely published. And the idea that peer review protects you from industrial funding is, is nonsense. I mean, but, you know, there are plenty of peer-reviewed papers that are 
both wrong and funded by industry. So when I talk about the scientists that I think it's important to believe, it's really hard for people who are funded by an industry that is dependent on sales of food and drink to come to terms with the idea that the main problem when it comes to diet-related disease is the consumption of food and drink, not exercise. But the independent scientists who aren't funded by industry really all agree that the massive burden of responsibility lies on the food we eat and the drinks we drink. And really, when it comes to obesity, has very, very little to do with exercise and activity. Perhaps Giles will say something different, but I can't find anyone who's independent and credible at a good big institution who says that they believe that the main problem is inactivity. Well, look, Chris, thank you so much for finding time to, to speak to us today. It's, it's been absolutely fascinating. That's such a pleasure. It's very nice to speak to you. See, I didn't disagree with anything that Chris was saying. And you thought you would? I, I didn't know because I did have a feeling that his tweets were slightly taken out of context. And I don't think he was trying to say what he said in the way that it was taken. Because what he's saying is that it's not that exercise doesn't mean anything. It just means that calories in is more important. Yes. Which and I don't if think... If you any... look at a whole life uh-huh. of calories in, calories out, that exercise just never has that much of an impact. But my problem is I think that what he's saying insinuates that there's something about exercise that means it doesn't burn calories, which isn't true. And really, from what but... I understand, the fact is that it's just not very effective because it makes you hungry and you're it's very easy to eat more after you've done exercise i'm more concerned with my mars bar can i eat it or not of course you can eat your mars bar life is too short to not (laughs) eat a mars bar well look i'm going to ask another i'm going to ask a professor if i can have a mars bar i think i'll know what the answer will be okay (laughs) Next on the line, we've got Professor Giles Yeo, who's an obesity expert at the University of Cambridge. Hi, Giles. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, we're talking about obesity and exercise and the effect that exercise has on weight. And you were sort of slightly involved in this um, Twitter explosion that happened over the weekend because of uh, Dr. Chris's tweet. Chris's is saying that exercise doesn't burn calories. What do you think about that? Look, I have to say that I'm surprised that my response to Chris's tweet also got got, got noticed because it was just almost an off-the-cuff response. I guess I agree with him and I disagree with him in very many ways. I have just done this stupidly long ride. I cycled from Lands and to John O'Groves just two weeks ago. So that's a thousand miles over over well, fourteen days. Very okay, impressive. So, very mm. impressive. And and my bottom is now the shape of my saddle forever. <laughs> but that's fine. But what I found out was actually having gone through the whole process, and let me tell you, I ate a lot of food. But having cycled a thousand miles, seventy five miles a day for fourteen days, do you know how much weight I lost? Not a single gram or ounce. But Charles, and, is that not because you ate loads? It is because I ate loads. Clearly, physics is involved, right? I understand the science underlying that I study. I study body weight for Pete's sake. I should understand the science. But I thought, genuinely thought, that if I went and did something like cycle a thousand miles over 14 days, I would at least lose some weight. At least my wife was hoping I would lose weight. But to not lose a single gram, that, that seemed deeply disappointing to me. But yes, the, the problem was the exercise made me feel so hungry. Oh, my God. 
I ate a lot of food and hence, you're right, I, I finished the ride healthier, plausibly even leaner, but without having lost a single gram. So I guess through that prism, exercise is not good for weight loss. Is it basically what you're saying is that the effort that is required to take in the calories is very minimal and the effort required to lose the calories is huge and very, very difficult. And that is why it's difficult to lose weight through exercise, right? Pretty much, pretty much. You know, because like if you take a look at a chocolate bar, probably what, 230, 240 calories. Roughly speaking, right? The Mars bar that Bonnie my, has. My Mars after, bar, after my daily Mars bar. Class. And I've just been told the fact that I go to the gym every day and do something in order to offset my Mars bar, I'm I'm basically deluded. I'm devastated by this. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many calories is your Mars bar? Do you know? Do you have the wrapper? It's about 250. It's about isn't 250 it? calories, mm. isn't it? Now, it doesn't matter how quickly we eat that Mars bar. It will always take us, whatever, half an hour on a treadmill or whatever mm. it is you're doing to actually use it up. So we, as human beings, but all living creatures, have evolved to be efficient, to be able to eat very, very quickly, and then over a long period of time, burn off the energy. So look, obviously, if you burn more calories than you eat, you are going to lose weight. There is no way that's not going to happen because it's physics. Mm. But it's always far easier to control your body weight with food intake because the effect size, because the dynamic range there is so much greater than the exercise element. Mm, mm. Giles, I want to go back to something you were talking about, your big bike ride, and mm, you were talking about mm. weight change at the end of it, but you mm. also mentioned that you felt you were leaner. Is that not a really key thing about exercise? They always say that muscle weighs more than fat. So presumably, if you're pedaling for a thousand miles, you're going to build up your thighs, which are big muscles, and your and your bottom. You might even put on weight, presumably. If you weren't in calorie deficit, you're keeping your calories up, you'd be building up your muscles, not putting on any fat, maybe even losing fat, putting on muscle. You know, you're changing your body composition through exercise. You know, how much can that be a factor? So I think there are two things to take away from that statement. Weight does not equal health. Look, I think I did not lose any weight at all, and that's true, but I undoubtedly am leaner. I, I used to have moobs. And I do think they're shrunk, or at least my wife has told me they're shrunk. Okay, so I'm very excited about that. Um, and by definition, if those have shrunk, then, then, and you're right, I've cycled, I've gained muscle, but yet exactly the same weight. Hence, weight is just a number on the scale. Okay, it doesn't inform you about muscle mass, fat mass, it doesn't actually tell you anything along those lines. And secondly, even if you don't lose weight, leaving aside what that weight is made of, exercise is healthy for you. So I think those are probably the two key messages that I want to stress because I'm not anti-exercise. Of course I'm not, right? The one thing which I wanted to point out is that while I got to the end of the ride and didn't lose any weight and I left exactly the same weight, two weeks later now, I have actually lost half a stone. Now, I think that that has happened. You know, I've been eating normally, I think. Um, I haven't been trying to lose weight. I think that because muscle, while also heavier than fat, it's also metabolically more active than fat. It burns more energy. I think my increased muscle mass, after I've sort of sat down after those two crazy weeks, has still continued to burn through energy. So I have ended up losing weight, just not during the ride. But because of the muscle I've put on, after the ride. 
That was going to be my next question, Giles. How much do you need to change your body composition? How much muscle do you need to have in order to change your basal metabolic rate? Could you do that by, you know, doing the exercise that most people do, which is doing some weights in the gym every day for or every other day or even three times a week? And I guess, has, has anyone ever done a study, you know, if you put on a kilo of muscle, you will burn X number more calories as part of your basal metabolic rate? People, on average, right, because obviously a kilo of muscle to you is going to be very slightly different to a kilo of muscle to me. But undoubtedly, a kilo of muscle is going to be far more metabolically active than a kilo of fat. So if you switch your body weight around by switching your muscle to fat ratio, then your metabolic rate will increase by its very definition. And, and it's not a plus minus. It's across the spectrum. If you gain a gram more muscle, mm. you will have a little bit of increase in metabolic rate, probably not measurable, to be fair. But a kilo, you will? Yes, I think you probably will. Um, um, you know, measured within sort of a calorimeter, within a mm. big scientifically accurate type of machine. So what I'm hearing is that all hope for my Mars bar is not lost. And as long as I keep doing muscle building exercises combined with a bit of calorie burning exercises, I'm safe and sound. I think so. I mean, I think people, the problem is the vast majority of people don't do anywhere close enough to actually build the muscle because you've got to build the muscle and then keep it there, right? Mm. Because... Say you, you go and it's January and you go to the gym and you you know you go for a few weeks and you do build up some muscle mass and you're very happy and your energy expenditure goes up, your metabolism goes up. But then you then slack off and go and do it and then you'll go back to where you were before. So it'll be no different after a few months. So as with weight loss, the challenge is not the weight loss itself, it's maintaining the weight loss. Equally, as with muscle gaining, which is very important, um, the challenge in very many ways is not in, in, in getting the muscle mass, it's maintaining the muscle mass after you get it. Giles, I wanted to ask you about this theory of adaptation. The studies that are often used as evidence for this are the ones that are done by Herman Ponser mm. involving the Hadza tribe in Tanzania. This argument that the more exercise you do, the fewer calories you burn um, because your body has some, somehow adapted to that high level of activity and is reserving energy for other things. To what extent is that True. I've spoken to some experts this week who have told me that that's been exaggerated. It probably is slightly overstated, but it probably is also true. Keeping in mind that the studies were done in the Hadza tribe, which is a relatively homogenous and small group of people, and we are trying to make assumptions about everybody else. Okay. So having said that, anecdotally, I did a two-week ride, as I, as I said, and the first five or six days, I mean, I ate like a horse. I mean, I was like eating everything that, that, that came my way. I was, you know, like a shark. But actually, after day seven, because the tour guy told us this, he, he said that, look, you will, at day seven, begin to cycle into fitness, whatever that meant, right? I didn't believe him, but I did. My legs came back to me, and I began to eat less, but while still doing the same amount of work. I didn't eat a whole lot less, but I ate a little bit less. So I think there is some truth in saying that the more you do something, your body begins to adapt to become slightly more efficient. And it's all part, I think, of the evolutionary strategy to keep us efficient, right? To keep us making sure that we stay as efficient as possible so that we can do as much work for as little food as possible. That's what kept us alive. And so I think there is something to be said for it. So Ponta, I think, is right. 
but probably slightly overstating the fact. Mm. Do you think ultimately it's right to say that the obesity problem has nothing to do with, or at least very, very little to do with the fact that we've had an increasing sedentary lifestyle over the last hundred years? It has to play a role, undoubtedly, because what we do, well, not only what we do for a living in terms of our jobs, but the fact that we have washing machines and dryers and dishwashers and things, and we don't, you know, we're not coal miners anymore. So undoubtedly, we have changed what we've done quite a bit. So it has to have played some kind of a role, I would have imagined, probably more along the lines of muscle mass rather than actual weight per se. You see what I'm saying? Mm. But undoubtedly, uh, it's the food intake that has driven the obesity crisis. That is key. The sedentary behavior has probably added to it and probably hasn't improved our health. That's the way that I would look at it. Mm. Well, Dr. Yo, thank you so much for joining us. As always, it was a pleasure to chat to you and fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for having me. Something you mentioned just then about we're looking at the last century and I'll go back to what I said about the the military uniforms. Mm. You know, our bodies are just totally different to uh, the bodies of adults 100 years ago. I mean, not totally different. We we all have two arms, two legs, or most of us do. Uh, One head, most of us. But we're just bigger and it seems to happen... Well, there was a big change in World War Two, wasn't there? Mm. That the malnourishment was almost eradicated thanks to rationing and uh, the National Cafe or National Restaurant Programme. So everyone got to have a proper uh, cooked lunch, whereas, whereas mm. pre-war, there was a lot of malnutrition mm. and people were very small and, and thin and, and malnourished and children were born very small. And that um, was one of the, the biggest major health problems at the time. Malnourishment, yeah. absolutely. And, and the availability of food and our generally healthier bodies have come with a new set of problems, perhaps, Mm. you know, and when you do zoom out, if you put us side by side with our great grandparents, we'll tower over them probably, or, you know, some of them would be, you know, maybe tall, but much thinner and, and such like, but they they weren't necessarily healthier as well. You know, my, my grandfather died at 59. Mm. And, you know, it was very common, both, both of my parents' parents died before they turned 60. I I, I believe that's the the case for my, my mum's parents as well and of course we are living much longer but with a whole different set of health concerns and problems from everything so it is it is no one thing I think Mm, I just (laughs) it's completely the opposite in my family (laughs) my great-grandparents and grandparents were all quite obese and well yes all of them I think and it's we've kind of got smaller throughout the generations which is interesting your great-grandparents and grandparents yeah, I mean, you know, obviously anecdotes are... There are outliers. You know, but but I think in general, I mean, something that always, always stuck in my head is is that there are children with size 13 feet now. Mm. And it's, it's not an uncommon size to find a shoe in now for y- young men to have, you know, size 10, 11, 12, you know, or more feet. People are just big. Mm. You, you know, know what they say about big feet? What do they say? They Large should become clowns. Socks. <laughs> uh, to, anyway, to further To further ruin everything, I want to admit something else. I also have a packet of crisps. It's not just a Mars what? bar eve. After the gym? Before, after, during sometimes. What's, I think 
the, I think this has all just got much too complicated. And then some ice cream. That's fine. Life is too short. Have the ice cream. Probably well, thank you for the permission. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I can keep doing my pull-ups and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll offset it. I can't manage many. Well, at least you can manage one. I've been trying for two years and still... I don't think you've been trying there. very hard. Uh, yeah, that, you, you would be correct. No, I'm, I'm really glad that you, you did, your, did your uh, strong and bendy class. Yes. Here's to many more. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for. You can read all about this in Eve's absolutely fascinating deep dive in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday. You can consume that in newspaper format on mailplus.co.uk or on the Mail app. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.